You're listening to Treks and Sci-Fi Podcast with Rico Dosti and Friends, your weekly dose of geeky goodness. Arrakis, once the wasteland of the universe, now an imperial capital. For it is here and only here the giant worms still roam, creating spice. Still the greatest treasure in the universe. Still the cause of conspiracy, betrayal, and murder. The saga of Dune is far from over. The wind speaks of demons. That is not the wind. You will help me kidnap a worm and bring it here. If they thrived, a new spice cycle could begin. It is my right to bear the royal heir. It is your duty to play a role, nothing more. I am his wife. You have his name. I am the one he calls wife. Don't turn your backs on your heritage. Your father was the greatest man in history. He gave you such wonderful talents. They could be put to such great use. Why won't you use them? You cannot control the future. There is no escape. Laws of men have gone. Laws of a god have replaced them. Everywhere we turn, his power confronts us. He's a curse. He's a messiah. Fear is the mind killer. I will face my fear. I will let it pass through me. One of us had to accept the agony. He was always the stronger. We have eternity. You have eternity. I have only now. Hey everybody, and greetings from Arrakis. Well, actually, I'm probably on Caladan, and my partner today is in Arrakis, and they're right. Shai Halud leads the way out here in the desert. <laughs> and tonight, my friend Chris and I are going to take all of you wonderful listeners to the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast down the golden path. That's right, the golden path. <laughs> That's where things really start to get wacky. <laughs> And we're back. It's the Dune Boys back again for the uh, probably uh, for the last time, I would guess. Yeah, because I mean, we have we have two books we can cover tonight to complement the Dune podcast we did last year, and we can also talk about the Children of Dune sci-fi miniseries, which gives us some great video content to talk about. But after that, and we'll talk about it later. But uh, this story gets really, really crazy. But this is the most, I think, from from a standpoint of being approachable and uh, and and makes sense for people that maybe are maybe have read Dune or seen the the children's uh, the original sci-fi miniseries miniseries of Dune and or the David Lynch film. This is your gateway to the next chapter, and it's definitely one worth taking a look at. Absolutely, and and not to mention the fact that it is a filmed has a filmed adaptation, so. Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit more accessible, indeed. And and really, these you know the direct follow-ups to the first book are probably the most accessible. It does. It, it we'll talk about it later on, but it does. The the series does veer off into um, some really uh, far-flung ideas, indeed. So, 
Um, let's uh, let's dive in. Let's dive right into maybe. Let's, let's quickly bring everyone up to speed. Oh yes. So, oh, I'm sorry. Right. So I mean, so Dune was the story of the House Atreides uh, taking over the fiefdom of the planet Arrakis, the sole source of the spice melange, which is the most important material in the universe. It's used for prescience uh, amongst different people who can see into the future. It's also used for space travel by the Spacing Guild uh, navigators. So. Um, and anyone who hasn't heard it, you can go back and take a listen to the, our coverage of that particular book. It's big. It's great. It's, uh, it's definitely, a, for sci-fi fans, something that is worth uh, taking a look at. So but rather than get in too much because it would take uh, forever to just uh, revisit the entire story, we'll just assume that you all are familiar with the story and uh, move forward into the, the second and third books uh, done by Frank Herbert. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, at the end of the first book... Um... Paul, who was the son of Duke Leto Atreides, uh, defeated the Hark- Harkonnens or Harkonnens, however you want to say it, and he and uh, in doing so also took over basically the the empire, the imperium. <laughs> the Carinos got ousted. That's Everybody right. got ousted. So now um, him and his fremen are basically sort of running the show. And uh, Dune Messiah, I think it's about 12 years after 12 years, yep. 12 years after Dune. And that's where the story kind of picks up. Uh, and there's been a jihad going on in between all that time. Yeah, basically, Paul, Paul when he assumed control of the throne, he w- had a marriage of convenience with uh, Princess Irulan, who is uh, uh, the, Karin, the, the heir to the Carino throne. And um, he... He he has the prescience of uh, being the Kwisatz Haderach, and he can see into the future. And he is haunted by images of a future um, where humanity potentially is going to be destroyed. And he desperately is trying to avoid that. Um, and in the meantime, the Fremen, the natives of Dune who had uh, come to his aid when he and his mother were fighting against the Harkonnens, have now taken their religious fervor and love for Paul Muad'Dib, uh, Trades, uh, into the universe and, and in a holy jihad. And, uh, and, and, and when Dune Messiah begins, this jihad has already been going on for 12 years, and 61 billion people have perished all under the name of Muad'Dib. That's right. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy how, <clears throat> when you think of at the end of the first book, you know, you would picture Paul as as a kind of a heroic character, and benevolent, yeah, benevolent, and 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 then as as the second book starts, it, it pretty much starts off with them talking about what a tyrant this guy has become, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it does start off with uh, with the conspiracy against him and his family. Yeah. So Paul is Paul again is is haunted by this prescient vision of this horrible outcome for humanity and he allows the jihad to continue because he he feels that that is the only way to avoid this horrible outcome so the death of these all of these people is something that is justified in Paul's mind but he's he's clearly a guy on the edge and in the meantime the Bene Gesserit the Spacing Guild and a new group that were really not and remind me, Chris, were were the Tulaxu involved in Dune in any way, shape, or form? No, they. I think there was 
like a brief mention of like the Bene Tleilax or something, but I don't think that they were ever really. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't think they had any characters or uh, anything, any really major part in the uh, in the first book. Right. So that so the the Tleilaxu are introduced in Dune Messiah. And, you know, one of the curious things about the whole Dune universe, when you think about it, it really is all humanity. There's no aliens, per se, in the Dune universe. And yet, man, humanity has colonized the known galaxy, but it's all humans. There's no aliens. The Tlaxu, though, are, are sort of genetically engineered people who can actually change their physical appearance. Yeah. So there. So along with the Bene Gesserit, the Spacing Guild, the Talaxu, they're a whole a new group that's been brought into the machinations of this empire of humanity that spans the universe. Yeah, that's a pretty cool. Um, it's a pretty cool concept. The face dan- the face dancers uh-huh. and um, the the Golas, which is uh, yep. which becomes the Golas become a huge huge part of the entire of the Dune story as a they whole. They do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they the the Tlaxu not only have the ability to change shape, but they also are genetic engineers and are capable of basically uh, cloning uh, someone from taking genetic material and actually creating a perfect replica of them, and that becomes a big part of Dune Messiah and Children of Dune um, going forward. So, so yeah, so we're on Arrakis. Um, uh, Paul and Chani have are married, um, even though she is. She's kind of like Jessica. She's she's the true wife, but not the necessarily the wife in name. Irulan gets to be the the public face of Paul's king uh, empire as the um, the empress or whatever. But <clears throat> he and Shani have not had any children, so the uh, the people against who are lining up against Paul and the Atreides uh, family are t- smelling blood in the water and opportunity. Yeah. Um, it's pretty uh, interesting. The um, the people that are involved in the uh, little cabal against him. Yeah, no, it's uh, so they basically see the opportunity to maybe. Well, they well, Irulan has been directed to basically give Chani contraceptives so that she cannot conceive, and they're trying to prevent an heir from being born. Um, so they introduce a basically a. A plant uh, into Paul's um, inner court, in the in the Tlaxu grow a gola of Duncan Idaho, uh, Paul's childhood friend, who was his teacher and good friend of of his father, uh, Duke Lieto Trades, uh, back in Dune. They bring they actually bring this this clone of Duncan Idaho into Paul's court as a gift. Paul clearly knows that this is an attempt by them to to put put a plant in, into his court, and he he sees that there's definitely something going on, but he sort of allows it to continue. He accepts the gift and 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 allows Duncan to come into the court, and uh, you know Charney you know obviously realizes what's going on as well. She she figures out what's going on with Irulan and is able to overcome the contraceptive that she's been being been fed and uh, becomes pregnant. And I think that's one of the biggest moments in Dune Messiah is obviously Charney having becoming pregnant with the Atreides heir. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh the every character a lot of the characters that were in the first book that show up here um have everybody sort of has their own little um, like a role to play. A role to play. <laughs> 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 yeah, but um, 
Anyway, keep going. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's right. I was just I'm I'm just just going through the, like the outline of the, yeah. of the story, um, because it's good. I mean, I mean, and and but it's like like you said earlier um, when we were talking before we started recording. Dune Messiah is not a particularly long book no. in regards to Dune. I mean, really. The point of Doom Messiah is to advance the story of of the jihad, um, of the and of, Char, of of Chani getting pregnant and having these children, and and basically Paul realizing what his future needs to be and how he defeats those that are sort of having all these machinations and plannings against him. Right. One of the things we haven't touched on that's going on right now is that House Carino, which was the house of the emperor has been put into exile on Seleucus Secundus, which was this prison planet. And um, there's a new Carino daughter that's introduced, uh, uh, Wensiska. And she is also, she has a son um, named um, Faradin, who she has designs for him to eventually become the emperor. And so she's also part of this whole plot in trying to to undermine Paul's rule and uh, and basically bring House Carino back into the forefront of the of of the, of the empire and, and back onto the throne. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool that they're stuck on that on that planet that they pretty much destroyed. Yeah, and and you know and and, and it makes for it just adds and you know brings back an element that's sort of familiar from Dune. Um, so, you know, so we have, we have all this machinations going on at the court. So we have Duncan Idaho is, has been presented to Paul. Um, there's also a whole subplot of, of Paul's loyal Fremen who, some of whom, who fought with him in the initial fight against House Carino have become very disillusioned with the way Paul has conducted, um, his, his stewardship of Arrakis because what's happening on Arrakis is they're basically terraforming the planet. Slowly but surely, um, it rains there on occasion. There are clouds. So basically, the planet's being changed from one of, a, one of a desert to one that can actually maybe sustain human life. But the flip side of that is that it's destroying the sandworms, and the sandworms are the sole progenitors of the spice. Without, without the sandworms, there there's no spice. Without spice, there is no commerce there's no universe there's nothing that's right so it creates this whole conflict so you have paul is allowing this 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 sort of terraforming to happen because that was what liet kynes uh, charney's dad had always envisioned and taught the fremen about how dune could be this wonderful place um so anyway it it, it, it the book really brings a lot in it's a real fast read and it's a real exciting read because there's a lot going on in it um so the plot sort of comes to fruition, and there is a attempt on Paul's life where the um, the Fremen basically that are that are against him they trick him into showing up at a location in Arakeen, which is the main city, and basically they light off this this nuke, this thing called the Stone Burner. Yeah, and it, uh, it he he survive Paul survives the attack, but he is blinded, his eyes are burnt out, and he, although blinded, he can still see. He can still perceive the world around him through his prescience, and the you know, which which does nothing but increase his his <laughs> messiah, his sort of messiah, you know, complex. I mean, it makes him even more spectacular because in Fremen culture, if you are blind, you are sent out into the desert to die because you're no longer useful to the siege. 
all of a sudden Paul is blinded and yet he can still see. Yeah. Um, so that's a big deal. And Paul then re, you know, returns to the palace. He, you know, he, oh, we, we totally forgot to mention the fact that who's, who's actually, you know, ruling with him is his sister. That's right. Yeah, we so, forgot all about her. Yeah, I mean, she, I mean and, and that's important because cause so she, so Alana is, is basically, she was pre-born, she was a little girl um, at the end of Dune, and she killed the Baron Harkonnen, and now she's a young woman, and she's basically, you know, she's also part of this whole religious fervor of her brother. So Paul basically turns running of the, of the emperor, empire over to her, and he and Shani go out into the desert to the siege and have their kids. And so Lieto, the son, and uh, Gamina, the girl, are born out in, in the desert. And that's basically where Dune Messiah sort of ends, is with, with the birth of the children and, and the end of the conspiracy. Um, there's a great scene with when the kids are born where one of the face dancer, whose name is um, Skytal? Saital. Saital, right. He he reveals himself because he's been hiding. He's been, te- been pretending to be this woman actually, yeah. who was a fremen. He reveals himself and he's going to kill Lieto and Ganima um, as in the little infants in this crib. And Charney has now died in, in childbirth. And Paul Paul had foreseen Charney's death in childbirth. He he knew that when she got pregnant that she was going to die in childbirth. He had foreseen it. But he had. To, he knew he had to let it happen because he needed. He need. He knew he needed his children to be born in order to 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 continue on what he was doing and to get out of this horrible situation that he had created. His jihad, his his messiahdom, his, everything about that. He knew that the kids were the key to that. Um, so Saito was going to kill the kids. And Paul blinded. When the kids were born and Shani died, he actually did become blind. He could not see anymore and perceive anymore. Mm. But he was able to see through his infant son's eyes to see the the knife, and he was able to to disarm the um, Scythel and kill him. So, and that's that's basically where uh, Dune Messiah. I think that's where Dune Messiah ends with with the the twins are born, Scythel dies, the, uh, Alia is in charge. Um, I, I think that's it. I yeah, think well, and uh, let's not forget the Stilgar kind of took care of, you know, a lot most of the conspirators. You know, the, the yes. Reverend, oh. Reverend Mother guy is yeah. Helen Mohayim, yeah. uh, some Edric uh, Korba, who was one of his, uh, the Fremen, and some of the other ones. Um, the only one that didn't get killed was Irulan. Right. So. That's right. Paul Paul made sure that they 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 didn't. She wasn't to be harmed, and everybody else basically got their comeuppance and. Yep. And we're killed. That's right. And uh, yeah, so I mean, that's that's how the that sort of the book ends there. And then Children of Dune, which you know, it's interesting. You know, Dune Messiah was released in um, was 1969. Wow. And Children of Dune was 1976. There was that big a gap between the two stories. I didn't realize that was it was he's, that long. He's the regular. He's the George R. R. Martin of his time. <laughs> I've never read those Wheel of Time books. Are they good? No, this, the, George R. R. Martin does, you know, Game of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones. That's right. Which is really called The Song of Ice and Fire. Game of Thrones is the first book. But actually, the Wheel of Time is now just finished. 
uh, even though the author did die, like I think a few years ago. Okay. But he had somebody else finish it. But that series is finished. And now that that's done, I may actually read it because I know that there's an ending. <laughs> I'm really. <laughs> oh, one thing. One thing we left out that in in Dune Messiah that the char- that the Duncan Idaho Gola and Aaliyah become romantically involved. The two of them form a relationship and actually fall in love. Um, so. Um, which is important because that that becomes a key part of Children of Dune, um, their relationship and how that sort of how so, that sort of plays out. Yeah, and Duncan, yeah, Duncan was supposed to be the one to kill Paul in the right. after his kids were born there. So anyway, so at the end of Dune Messiah, uh, Paul Atreides walks into the desert. Um, he is now really blind, and he leaves his children Leto, Leto and uh, Ganima. In the care of the Fremen, uh, and Alia is the basically his ruler as regent. Um, so now we we you know we bring back in the schemes of House Carino and and their efforts to basically instill you know their the their son Faradin um, onto the throne. And I think I believe time wise. Eight years um, after Dune Messiah is when nine Joseph... years. Okay, so you were so nine... very close. <laughs> yeah, but we, we, you know, which is interesting though, because in I guess in the in the the book, this is some place where the book and the miniseries are a little bit different, and we'll get to the miniseries. But in the miniseries, the children Ganima and Leto are after the 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 death of um, of Skytel and they're born. They basically are young adults. I mean, they're in their late teens, early twenties. Whereas in the book, it starts with them much younger. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch that actually when I because it's been so long since I read the books. And anyway, so the uh, sorry, so the kids, the kids are born, and the kids both are are definitely kind of special. They, you know, Lietos has has basically the same sort of prescience that Paul had um, and, and that Alia had. Um, Alia, though, is being basically haunted by the voices and memories of her past, whereas um, Lieto is looking more towards the future. He sort of sees what what his father saw, and he realizes that his father saw the future of humanity and realized that that there was that there was a there was something that needed to be done to change that direction for humanity's future, and it wasn't something that Paul was capable of doing, but it's something that that Lieto has to do himself. So, um, so it, it's fallen upon his son now to basically unscrew this up. And Paul is just want, again, Paul's gone. And, uh, basically the, the boy, the Ganima and Lieto are living in the palace. Uh, Leah is ruling with Duncan at her side and, um, Irulan is watching over the kids and we get the return of, uh, Lady Jessica yep. at this point. Um, so, Paul's mother returns uh, with Gurney Halleck. Um, they've been staying on uh, Caladan, and uh, they come back for the first time to see the kids. Um, and this basically puts in, in place all the characters for what would become this plot by, by, by House Carino to try and bring back their rule uh, you, where when Siska and Faradin they basically want to arrange for the downfall of the Atreides and to bring Faradin in to become the new heir 
Um, so yeah, so I mean, it's 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 as complicated as ever. It's Dune, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> and with, and when you, we get a return of a great character in um, Alia's um, being haunted by images of her grandfather, the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. He's back and uh, basically taunting her and uh, making her crazy. And uh, Paul is turned into the preacher, and he's out in the desert basically preaching to the Fremen and preaching in the city streets about against his own religion, against the entire, the whole jihad that he created and in, in an effort to try and basically discredit it and bring it down. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's, there's definitely a, a lot, a lot going on at this point. Um, and, you know, I, I like, I, I do like it that they bring like Gurney Halleck and Lady Jessica back in this part of the book. I think that's, I think it's cool that, we get them back involved and, you know, in having more of an impact on the story. Cause those are great characters from the first book. Yeah. And especially when you consider that those are the two characters, well, Gurney wanted to kill Jessica in the first book cause he thought that she was the traitor. Um, yeah. and it's pretty cool that he, I guess to kind of pay her back for, um, you know, almost slitting her throat. He's kind of been working with her or yeah. helping her. I mean, their, their relationship's kind of ambiguous, in the book, yeah. but I think there yeah, was like, well, aren't they supposed? Weren't they supposed to be have become lovers? Yeah, or that's they- what I heard. I think that's what I remember, but I don't remember it being ever like sort of explicitly said. Right. You know, because right. all ever made, all anybody ever says of Gurney Halleck is that he's an ugly lump of a man. So right, that just right. like one of the most beautiful women you ever saw. So it's kind of an odd pairing, but yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, so the so a basically that a the you know, you have these plots going on, and you know, Jessica realizes what's happening, and she actually she actually escapes and goes to find sanctuary with House Carino, and she basically makes a deal with the devil, with uh, Wensiska, to 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 try and basically get Alia off the throne. The real the, the real problem in Children of Dune, the real pro- the real antagonist, is actually. Not so much the Carinos or the Bene Gesserit. The Bene Gesserit has sort of been removed from the story at this point in the Pretty Spacing much. Guild. But, uh, but really, it's, it's, it's Alia. Alia has become the embodied, she's become possessed effectively. And she, is, she has basically lost control and allowed the, her priests to, to control you know, what's going on. And it's, it's basically all bad. So the, the Fremen that were aligned with house Atreides for all of these years, they basically, they basically say, screw this, we're out of here. And people start bailing on Alia, um, including, um, Ali even tries to have her mother killed, which is why, um, Jessica and, and Gurney Halleck take off and, and basically seek sanctuary, um, on Seleucus Secundus. And, uh, Basically, you know, figure out a way to try and enlist the Carino's help to remove Alia from from the throne in, in exchange for Faradin to marry Ganima and become, uh, you know, the next uh, co-emperor or the the ruler of the known universe. So, it's uh, it's a it's a whole whole plot. And 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 there's and then when Cisco has this plan on on stealing sandworms and transporting <laughs> Seleucus Secundus so that they can co- create spice there. Um, so she's got a lot of things going on in, in, in her little head. And uh, it's, uh, no, it, but it's really good. And, and, and uh, you know, basically what, what you have is you, ha- you have Kanima and Leto basically 
trying to figure out what to do. And Leto realizes that he needs to he needs to basically infuse himself with spice in order to 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 resolve his prescient vision of the future and figure out what to do. And um, there's a there's an attempt on the kids' lives by um, by a plot that's orchestrated by Wen Siska with with these tigers and the kids escape and they and Leto actually escapes from from Ganima and go, goes off on his own and goes to this old siege where it was what, what do they call them the castouts or the yeah uh, they, well they were the water stealers the water stealers right so it's a, it was a group of fremen who were basically you know cast eyes and cast out from fremen society because they were water stealers and he goes to their their deserted city and basically he he find he 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 mold he he how would you describe it what does he do he 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 becomes a sandworm well yeah he he gets the sand those the, the, the sand trout on him yep and um it gives him crazy like powers yeah so he he basically he basically allows the the young sandworms to m- merge with him and become part of him and he is then granted with like speed and strength and prescience and all of these things, he becomes sort of the superhuman. Um, and meanwhile, in sort of the in the in the real world of of what of Dune, again, you have you know they're still trying to they're, uh, they're trying to get the Fremen who have always aligned themselves with House Atreides to turn and to fight against Alia and her possession. Um, so Duncan Idaho actually provokes. Stilgar into killing him hmm. as a way to to get basically Stilgar off the fence and to commit to attacking um, Alia and the Atreides. So everybody goes back to the main to Arakeen to the city, and you've got you've got Alia there, and you've got the Fremen are coming, and you have Paul shows up as the preacher. Now again, we all sort of know it's Paul, but in the book. Nobody really knows it's Paul, or they pretend it's not Paul. Like everyone's standing there looking at him. Even Gurney Halleck has a moment with with the preacher, and he's not even sure it's actually <laughs> Paul. So they 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 and, and I gotta say, whereas in the in the in the miniseries, obviously it's the same actor. So you're like, well, duh. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like you know what it's like. It's like Palpatine and uh, and Darth Sidious. Yeah. It's like, dude. Same dude, <laughs> but nobody seems to notice. But it's it, it's like you know in the book, it's definitely played so that there's a lot of confusion as to whether of who this person is. And I think Frank Herbert does a good job in actually keeping that sort of a puzzle. But at, at the end, Paul shows up and um, one of the Fremen extremists kill him, and he dies, and that basically clears the path for Lieto to realize that he needs to to assume control, that his sister has completely lost it, and she ends up committing suicide. And he assumes the throne, um, and he has in his mind this golden path that he is going to take humanity on, and it's the only way that humanity is going to survive. It's, this, is the, this, is, this is the only way that he can see forward for humanity's future. And it then, that then segues into the remaining books that Frank Herbert did that I think 
you know, Chris and I, I think agree that are just it's just crazy what happens after this. <laughs> it's a, this story could have just sort of ended here, and we could have just assumed the golden path was all great. But boy, it, it it's not great, and it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Yeah, nothing is good. Nothing is good that happens to any of these people. Um, yeah, how does it pro- how does it progress in the books? I mean, well, how does the story continue on after that? Well, you know, it, I mean, it, it ends up with like, you know, doesn't Dune gets destroyed? Um, the uh, the the Bene Gesserit have become. I mean, oh my God, hold hold on a second here. Let me let me re- <laughs> let me rearrange my thoughts. Well, well Lieto actually really becomes a sandworm. Yeah, with he becomes a huge. If you want to talk about the next book, I mean, he becomes a huge worm with a little person face. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and this and the, and the next book takes place like three thousand years later, three thousand five hundred years after the after Children of Dune. So he's been alive that long, right? You know, and the, and, and he's surrounded by golas. Like they keep cloning everybody. Like Duncan Idaho is still around. They keep cloning these Duncans and sending them to him. The Duncans always end up trying to kill him. It's like sort of a thing that they just do, and like he's not even really bothered by it. But I, right. he's just like, I guess I'll need another Duncan, you know. But um, he knows he's gonna. I guess, and the book starts out when he knows he's going to be. He's he knows he needs to die to sort of move things forward. Uh, yet right. again, the golden path or whatever. And uh, holy cow! I mean, at the end, I mean, he does die i'm not gonna get into that book i can't there's too many books but at the end he does die he turns into all the little sand trout yep and then yeah did they ever, did, did, does he turn into sand trout and then do, do they does he like repopulate like yeah all the sandworms that helps repopulate the sandworms again and right the cycle okay. starts over again that's right okay yeah well anyway it's it, it, you're you all are welcome to check it out it's definitely uh it's it's something but i mean i think i think reading dune dune messiah and children of dune are a are a contained trilogy of story that is is definitely the 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 meat of what you want to get from this universe. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you want if you're if you're interested in you know the characters from the first book, really, those are the three books you want. Because I mean, um, you know, Leto is in it for the fourth book. Then you know, there's Duncan Idaho's throughout, and then and and then the um, as the series goes on towards the end. Golas, there's Golas of Paul and Golas of Cheney and Golas right. of Duncan. All these different Golas are showing up, and so those characters do eventually actually come back. I think their memories get awakened as well, but um, it does get wacky. It does yeah. get very strange because it gets very out there. And he's, and you know, so a lot of what pro- attracted a lot of people to probably Dune doesn't really isn't really around by the time those books <laughs> you know because if you read Dune you're like oh this is kind of cool there's like this martial society uh, and fiefdoms and things and then you know there's some kind of weirdness and sci-fi stuff but by the end of it it's like right so yeah. I mean it's a cool series I've read them all at least once once I got past God Emperor I've read God Emperor probably a couple times but once I got past that I read the other ones like once so my memory on them um, isn't as great, right? But, you know, the th- first three books are pretty solid. I mean, it's a pretty solid story. Um, if if it hadn't moved so far, then maybe who knows how it would have been if they would have. But I think that Frank Herbert was really not about being comfortable and not about doing what people wanted. He, he yeah. had his own story that he wanted to tell in his own. I mean, good for him. Yep. 
you know i mean it's just um when people say that dune is a sort of a hard thing to to get into i understand i understand there's a lot going on in there i mean well, i think it's made hard by those those latter books i think the initial couple of books are are much more uh, yeah. accessible than the pre, the the later ones they were they were much much more dense and much more challenging in terms of trying to follow the story yeah. because you know I you know Frank Herbert was an amazing science fiction writer and amazing author but those books are just they're crazy I mean there's you know there, there's a point where you know you're 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 indulging yourself to the point of that you've lost everybody you know and it's just being self indulgent at that point <laughs> yeah I mean he didn't have anybody telling him no no that's true yeah <laughs> so I mean if you want to talk about the, the so the so the the book series. Uh, it started off with Dune, then it was Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, then it followed up with God Emperor of Dune, um, which was followed up by that was she's oh, Louise Heretics. Uh, the, it was Heretics, Her, right. it was Heretics, and then Chapter House of Dune, Chapter House Dune, and then there was Hunters of Dune, and then Sandworms of Dune. Um, now Hunters of Dune and Sandworms of Dune were written by Frank Herbert's um, son. Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, another author, and I guess they're working off of his his notes. Um, and yep. if if you ever read, there's a Road to Dune, which is sort of a behind the scenes type of book, almost um, kind of outlines a lot of where they get some of this stuff from. Um, and they've also written those two guys wrote um, the prequel tr- a prequel trilogy, which I think came out in like '99, the first one. Yeah, and I was thrilled. Um, and that was House. That was Dune House Atreides, uh, Dune House Harkonnen, and Dune House Carino. And those books are all real solid. Yeah, um, and and they they blend together to tell one cohesive, literally a story that that is like the young Duke Leto, the young Baron Harkonnen, the young um, Prince Shaddam. I mean, everybody's everybody that you know from Dune is there. They're just twenty, thirty years younger. Yeah, and it's 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 actually. You know, a lot of it links up pretty well with Dune. I mean, there are some weirdness things like where Alito has a wife and a son before oh, right, Jessica, right. and I think really when you look at it, like the the, the wife ends up plotting against him, um, yep. and uh, instead of killing Alito, she kills their son, yeah, uh, unintentionally. So I think what that was really sort of they're like, oh, see now Leto, see now you know why Leto would have reason to believe that Jessica was plotting against him because his, right. this other girl that he loved more than anything also did it to him. So I mean, right. I guess that's sort of like setting that up if you want to look at it that way. There was a lot of cool, it has Leto as a pretty young, starts off with him I think when he's like about like 16 or so. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, and, and do you recall, they were meant to be read in order, so was it because they the the there's one story that goes through all three books, so it's not like here's the story of Har- House Atreides, no. here's the story of House Harkonnen. They all were blended together. I thought it was Atreides, Harkonnen, Carino. Yeah, there's there's okay. it, that's just the names of the books. No, but it, but 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 aren't they don't they go in sequence though? I mean, isn't the story don't the stories overlap or no? It's it's one continuing story. It just right, so I, I just can't remember what the order of the books were. If they it was were... Frady's first, Harkonnen's second. Okay, that was it. Okay, yeah. gotcha. And then yeah. um, these guys wrote, they went way back before those books. They wrote the Butlerian Jihad, which kind of tells the story of humanity and how they came to 
why there's such a ban on thinking machines. Right. So it showed how, you know, the the machines had taken over humanity and humanity was enslaved and there was an Atreides and there was a Harkonnen. Yep. And in that book, the Atreides was the bad guy and the Harkonnen was the good guy for a while. Mm-hmm. Then they, they sort of swap places near the end and the shows where that whole... So apparently those... Those two houses have been pissed at each other for thousands of years, apparently. Right. And then they wrote um, sort of books that kind of go in between. Like they wrote um, Paul of Dune, which fits in between Dune and Dune Messiah. Yeah. And then there was um, Lady Jessica. The Winds of Dune. That the Winds was of the, Dune, right. That yeah. was Jessica one. Right. And then um, they had plans on doing two more. Um, they were going to do the Throne of Dune, which was going to be Irulan of Dune, and they were going to do Leto of Dune, which is going to be after Dune. Uh, sorry, Children of Dune. It was going okay. to be right. Leto, you know Leto after Children of Dune, but they've kind of put those on hold. Um, I've read all of them. I've read Paul of Dune. I've read Winds of Dune. Eh, you know, I, I think you don't need them. I think that mm-hmm. they kind of shove a lot of crap in there to get all these characters in there. And what they do in Paul of Dune is they kind of bring characters from the House Trilogy into Paul of Dune, which was his friend, um, Rombit, Rom, what was his name? Uh, oh, um, yeah, the... Rombus, Rom... Yeah, his childhood friend. Right, right. childhood friend yeah. from a house that's never mentioned, mm-hmm. except in those books. And then this friend comes into this, into this book, again, and is never mentioned again after, because right, you know, it was right. something that they made up for those books. And I, I kind of like when that, when that stuff sort of happens, I kind of like oh, eh, this is kind of a BS book. It's not really nice. it's 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 it's, all, it's fun to read. Um, it's just fun it, to revisit revisit the yeah universe, revisit the characters. Yeah. And it has like you know Duke Leto getting uh, one of those has like a flashback to Duke Leto getting married for political reasons, and then there's an assassination attempt, and there's a war of assassins in right. that that was mm-hmm. pretty cool. There were some cool scenes in that, but I mean really it, it doesn't to me it doesn't it doesn't really fit. But that's fine. I mean, yep. it is what it is. I mean, listen. I mean, Brian. He's Brian Herbert. He's he's like Christopher Tolkien. If he wants to put Dune books out, more power to him. And I guess there was a new. I know I haven't read this one. Did you read the um, the Sisterhood? I did. Yeah, I didn't read that one yet. I want to read. It, it. Which is and it's basically the the formation of the Bene Gesserit. Right, and I, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, it's good. It takes it takes place. It takes place well in advance. It's it's definitely it's a super prequel. So at, there's really nothing else going on except the formation of the Bene Gesserit school um, and how the Bene Gesserit sort of came to be and have the this the powers and the skills that they have in in the in the Dune universe. Yeah, because that last Butlerian Jihad book, the Battle of Corinne, kind of at the end of that, you see like all those things being set up. Right, it it's basically the next the next book in in that series of, of yeah. I I mean those books were those books were pretty wacky. Those they were. I mean, with the, the with the Erasmus the robot, the Rasmus, robot, and, yeah. yeah. I, but I I enjoyed those. I liked those a lot actually. I thought those were pretty cool. No, I mean they were cool. They were so different from yeah. from Dune. Yep. I mean, so I mean, but I I dug them. I mean, hey, robots fighting people. I mean, you know, and it's and how and how they did they developed space travel and yeah. their ability to fold space and everything. It's and they, all. And they had some interesting characters in there. There was that little that the like the dwarf girl who became yeah who became the the first nav- navigator. Navigator. Um, yeah. I forget her name. It's been like like I don't know, almost ten years since I read those. Yeah. <laughs> the last one came out in two thousand four. But they were they were fun. I I mean again, I mean Dune anything Dune, I'm gonna 
I'm going to read. I'm going to be, I, mean, I just, uh, it's, it becomes sort of like pe- people with maybe how they feel about the Star Wars prequels or mm-hmm. the, maybe the, some people don't particularly care for the Clone Wars and they're like, well, it's, it, I watch it, but you know, it's, it's okay. You know. Well, speaking of things that you can see on screen, so <laughs> we, we, we discussed uh, the, in, in our discussion about Dune, uh, we, both the David Lynch film and the sci-fi miniseries of Dune, which I, I think was, was a two or three part miniseries. It was, it was three parts. Three parts, right. And how much, we, how, how much we enjoyed both of them and yet how very different they were, both of us agreeing that the, the sci-fi miniseries certainly stuck closer to the, to the book in terms of character and story, uh, whereas you know, I think David Lynch was, took more of an interpretive view of, of it. But uh, so in, yeah, and so in, in 2000, um, when Dune came out, uh, it was very successful. And I mean, and this, let's face it, this was back when sci-fi made some really good shit. I mean, sci-fi put out some great stuff back in the early 2000s, including, yeah. you know, I mean, this was, this was just an example of, of when they were doing great programming. And uh, they, they came back in 2004 and um, had, you know, basically released the, uh, the Children of Dune miniseries. They say he has gone on a journey. The golden path is dangerous. The desert storm that cannot be stopped. You will become that storm. The whirlwind. And nothing will be able to stop you. Not even yourself. It's in your hands now. This is basically a combination of Dune Messiah and the Children of Dune book combined into one three-part miniseries. Um, so we have a, a returning as Paul, the uh, Alec Newman returned as Paul. And uh, Alec Newman is actually, I don't think we discussed it before, but he, he was in a, he was Malik in uh, Star Trek Enterprise um, episodes yeah. about the Augments. The Augments, yeah. Yeah. So he has some, some good cred with, uh, with, us, with us Trek fans. <laughs> Julie Cox returned as Irulan. Um, Ian McNeese returned at, to play the Baron. And I think you and I both agree he was an, he's an awesome Baron. He's yeah, so good. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, uh, like I think we, yeah, we, we, we did this to, the, to death in the last one we said. But I mean, he, he offered a, a, a less disgusting portrayal. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, and, and, well, and, and one certainly closer to Frank Herbert's vision. I mean, the Baron in the David Lynch film is just just a pathological mess. I mean, he's just he's so horrific, but and over the top. But there's certainly the Baron in 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 this and the way Ian McNeese plays it up and hams it up, he's awesome. He's yeah, so he's great. he's very good. and I love the scenes in this and Children of Dune with him and and Alia. Yeah, um, he's ta- are... taunting her and manipulating her, and he's terrific. Yeah, you have uh, Stephen Burkhoff returns as Stillgar. He no, was he, Stillgar. In Dune. No, he wasn't Stillgar in Dune. Oh, that's well, that's right. Who was that's right? It was, was it was another guy, but he was recast. They recast a lot of the, well, not a lot, but they recast uh, several roles. Yeah, and and, and Stephen Burkhoff was in. A Clockwork Orange, Rambo, Rambo. Octopussy, and Beverly Hills Cop. That's right. He this was, guy works. He was the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> uh, Daniela Amavia is Alia, and she's a new character, well, a new actress to this because she plays the adult version of, um, of Alia. Um, James McAvoy is Lieto, um, and uh, sci-fi fans will know him as the young Charles Xavier from X-Men First Class and the upcoming... X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah, I can't wait. 
And then, boy, we get some heavy hitters here. We got Susan Sarandon showing up to play when Siska, when Sissia, excuse me, um, which is awesome. I mean, Rocky Horror, Thelma and Louise, Bull Durham. And hell, she was just in Cloud Atlas this year. So, I mean, it, 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 she, she's great. I, I, I love her in this. I mean, yeah. some people, I think, maybe think she phoned, in, phoned it in a little bit. I think she's great no. in, in, the, as, in the role. I think she did a great job. She didn't have a huge role in it. But, I mean, um, apparently what happened was, I guess, she just wanted to be in it. Yeah. And they wanted to find a part for her. And when Sissy is actually supposed to be Erolon's younger sister. Right. That's <laughs> right. They, and yet she's older in, in this, right. Yeah, so I guess they don't really explain that. How come she wouldn't be the one to marry Paul? But whatever. Right. Anyway, oh, she was married already. I think that's how they... They've sort of but she is supposed to be when, her younger uh, sister. But yeah, yeah. I, I thought she was great in it. I like. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's, there's just scenes of her in castle uh carino on Seleucus secundus and like she's got a, a pet crow yeah. and she's just and she's just this horrible mother i mean she's 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 intentionally torturing her basically her son and you know not giving him showing him any love or affection to try and make him tough because you can just tell that she's so obsessed with getting house carino back into into the into the limelight and uh she does a great job at at at, at playing that role yeah uh, Edward Adderton plays Duncan Idaho. P.H. Moriarty is Gurney Halleck, and that's a he was he was Gurney Halleck in the yeah. first the, in Dune as well. And you know you know you know what he was in Outland. Oh, not only that, he was in Outland, but you know what I remember him from Jaws Jaws 3D. Jaws 3D that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he had that like that you know that that accent that he was putting on in that movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was like an Australian accent, I guess. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> He was like he was like the fancy schmancy divers like partner, right? Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's weird how you met. I I was watching that that first Dune miniseries when I was whenever it was on two thousand, and I was like, yeah. that guy, who is he? And I, it was haunting me. And this was a, there wasn't any IMDb back then. I don't think. Right. And, and when I finally figured it out, I was like, oh, that's such a random movie to pick up but there He's it is in patriot games too so i just was cruising his imdb uh jessica brooks plays ganima um and the only thing i saw that she was in that might be of note was that movie supernova i never saw it um i never saw that either yeah rick young played javid jonathan brown uh, brun was farad carino and then Another big name that uh, comes in here and takes over a role that was pre- that was different in, in Dune is Alice Krieg as Lady Jessica. So Alice Krieg, um, we all you, you should know from Chariots of Fire, Ghost Story, and of course First Contact, and she played the Borg Queen. Yeah, I guess she was the um, director for the Dune miniseries. Uh, her original choice, his original choice for Lady Jessica. Oh, I, I, was he really? Yeah, or she was. She was, was, but she was wasn't available, so they 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 hired a different actress. Oh, that's very interesting. And then I, I guess this that actress had some reason she couldn't do it, so then they got her to play Lady Jessica in this one. Very good. Yeah, I I I always liked Alice Krieg even before um, First Contact. I think I think she's great. She's she has she has a nice presence on the screen. I think she does a great job in this. Yeah, she definitely kind of comes off uh, a little bit more like regal. Uh-huh. You know, like it, especially you know when she shows up on Arrakis and she's doing a thing. You know, where they're coming and telling people are coming and telling all their woes. Yeah. And she like does that thing where she like cuts her fingers to like stop the guy talking. He's like, Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> 
the one thing the one thing I'd say about this entire cast is, oh my God, they're good looking. Oh, they're handsome. This is this is by far and away the most attractive cast you will ever see in a in a in a, in a miniseries. I mean, it's incredible. They're all beautiful. The men and the women. They're yeah. incredible. You see why they rule the universe. You're like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, this, the, the, this girl, this um um what's her name? The one who played. Uh, Ganima that I couldn't find any Jessica Brooks. I mean, my God, she's she's stunning. She's very pretty. She's stunning. I, the girl, the, the girl who plays Aliyah, Daniela Amavia. I couldn't find her doing anything else of note. I was like, God, this, she was she's, she was great in the role. I thought she does a great job. You know, the, she's she really has to. She's she has she has to do a lot of heavy lifting in this miniseries because I mean, Aliyah yeah. basically goes nuts and she needs to play nuts and she does i think she does a great job and uh but i can't find anything else that she ever did after i think this. she's one of these people that's more of like a theater actress okay i, th- yeah. I, I remember uh i uh, reading an interview with her where she was kind of big in theater but i mean yeah you're right she has to carry a lot of the miniseries yeah especially totally. once uh, alec newman's not as big a part of it in the mm-hmm. second two episodes i mean she's really uh sort of front and center and she isn't it's not just like standing there she's got to play like mentally crazy mm-hmm. you know i mean so yeah she does a good job and she has a great scene where she um works out naked yes that's right <laughs> <laughs> which which i do all the time by the way oh yeah so just just unless you think that's odd or anything no other way but, to do it uh, yeah <laughs> but i mean this and, and i think that one of the one of the things that we said about the sci-fi dune effort was that they 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 cer- they were certainly very respectful to the source material, but they really made an effort to make it look great and sound great and the art direction and the set direction. Everything about it was really great. And I would say that Children of Dune takes that even to another level. For the for the time, you know, if you consider two thousand you know, two thousand and four, the special effects, the the sets, the art direction are just incredible. Yeah. You know, the costumes, incredible. I mean they just they spent a lot of money on this, and it shows in every single frame of Children of Dune. Yeah, this uh, they really, um, it really is a step up from the production of the 2000 miniseries. They did away with the backdrops, number yep. one, which made yeah. it, which, which always made it feel like a theater, like almost. a theater. And, and yeah. I think it was maybe, maybe that was sort of the style that the director was going for. This is a different director for this one because the director was busy doing something else. Right. But um, so the, yeah, the production values are way up. The CGI got way better. Yep. Um, and they went with like CG backgrounds and things. And I think it, it just is a very. I'm gonna say that I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this is probably my favorite filmed Dune anything. Yeah. That is just for consistency. Yep. You know, because there's a lot of things I like about the David Lynch Dune, which is like, I like some of the design work, I like some of the actors, and there's a lot of things I like about the 2000 miniseries, you know, I like the, the, I like the, the staying to the story, but then some of the actors I could have done without, some of the actors I really liked. But this one, I'm like, everything through it is pretty solid. It's like, it you know, it's and a story is, is, it, they, is well adapted, they got rid of a lot of the nonsense and they kind of and any of the changes they made made sense to me you know yeah they kind of they softened like just for instance they softened Irulan's involvement in the conspiracy like in the book she's like you know she's right there she's like she's less she's less sympathetic yeah in in the in the miniseries you you love Irulan you really like her I mean you want you know you, you don't you don't have any animosity towards her and she's 
she is portrayed as being, you know, a, a protector of the, of the Atreides children, as opposed to someone who's looking for the to to right. bring them down. And and it's really tra- It's really tragic and touching to see how much she loves Paul. And the actress just just does a gangbusters job with with the role in terms of like when when she realizes that you know all she ever wanted was was to love him and she, she, that he could never love her and yet she never left and she always hung in there and when Paul leaves her to to go out into the desert to have the kids with Chani you know that scene is just it's gripping it's great I mean there's just it's really great stuff for for a TV miniseries yeah that the first time I saw that now it's like a montage scene. That has this really, really cool music that oh, I'll the, talk oh, about the, the music the, when everyone's when everyone's assassinated. Yeah, they're doing their little, their little homage to the Godfather. Yes, he yes. tells he tells Alia basically when he leaves, he's like, you know, settle settle accounts, settle yeah. accounts, right? I want you to settle accounts. You know, <laughs> so like yeah, right, it's it's all it's all done a montage with nothing but the music playing, right? And- you see them killing the guild navigator in his tank and the, the guys with axes breaking it so the, the gas and the spice gas spills out and he suffocates. The best, though, is when, with Reverend um, Mohayim when she's sitting in the cell. Playing cards. Still, yeah, and Stilgar, she turns over the card and in slow motion, Stilgar walks in and just cuts her throat. I mean, it's just like, it's powerful stuff. I mean, it really is. Yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, that was on TV. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, yeah. it, it was, it's a, it's really a, for T for a TV movie, I guess it's really beautifully filmed. It really, yeah. it's, um, so, and, and let's talk about the music. Cause I know that's something that's sort of near and dear to your heart. Oh, it's like, it's probably in my, it's always in my top, top 10 scores. I, I love it. I, I, I saw the miniseries. I'm like, I gotta have that music, and it didn't. It wasn't available, and I think I remember finding it on. It was either maybe Brian Tyler's website or maybe the Sci-Fi website. I, don't, I remember I pre-ordered it. Is Brian Tyler? Is he the composer? Brian Tyler is the composer. He was. Um, yeah, let's let's Vartok this sucker. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do I, Vartok is is excellent. I'm, I'm I could not pale be a pale comparison, but he um he got the gig. And I guess he did it in like a month, which is pretty impressive. I mean, it's a really great score. Oh, the, 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 the music, this, let's call it the theme for Arrakis or Arrakeen, the yeah. city, they play that when the ships are landing. It's just, it's bombastic and it's powerful and it's moving. <laughs> And then other parts of it have just this wonderful sort of Middle Eastern kind of flair and, and, and lyricalness to it. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And I, it's something I mentioned to Chris before we started recording was that the music is is so very much of that time. If, 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 you're, if you love the music in, in Gladiator, you would feel right at home. It, it, it feels like it's the same sort of genre of music that is, is in this. And it's just really well done. Yeah. Now, the one, the song I was talking about, it's... Um called Unama Nushif uh-huh. and it was um it was uh, written in the Fremen language. He kind of gleaned what he could from the books in the Fremen language and then sort of filled in a lot of it with Arabic 
and maybe yep. but I mean there's a lot of Fremen language in this song and it's it's the it's the uh, song that goes over that montage of the babies being born and all the enemies being taken out Which is pretty cool. I mean, absolutely, yeah. You know, it's, it's like sort of like Howard Shore, Lord of the Rings, is writing songs in Elvish. You know, what I mean, yep. so you know, you the music, especially there's a couple of tracks that people probably have heard and they don't even realize it. it's from Children of Dune. There's the um, the Jihad, which is like the music you hear when Stilgar's getting his worms, you know, and it's really like a heroic sort of. Like you said, bombastic kind of scene, and um, that's been played in movie trailers like you wouldn't believe. It's been is that like, right? I didn't realize that. Like Master and Commander, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, The Witch in the World drove the first one. Um, I think even Dan Jones and the Crystal Skull had some of that music in it. Um, oh, that's funny. And then the Star Trek, the O9, the uh, second trailer after the first trailer after the teaser had um, bright. They used. Um, a segment of his of the of a, of the track from War it's called War Begins on the Children of Dune soundtrack they used it and there's a there's this company there's this like uh, they they do uh, trailer music so like most of the, most of the music you hear in uh, trailers nowadays right it, it either comes from like a different movie or comes from these people that orchestrate trailer music and these are a group a group of people called Two Steps from Hell and okay. they they did like the second remember the Star Trek trailer that was pretty much the big trailer the set the third trailer of the um, of the movie that came out in 2009, they did the, all the music for that, and they reorchestrated that War Begins track for the second Star Trek trailer. Are you afraid or aren't you? I will not allow you to lecture me. No one you stop me. Prepare to fire all weapons. I like this ship. This is exciting. Faces, disease, and danger, threat, darkness, and silence. Buckle up. The wait is over. And he's also composed a couple of Enterprise episodes. Oh, that's right. I saw that on his IMDb. Canama, yeah, second season episodes, Canama and Regeneration. And if you actually watch those episodes, the score is really a stepped up from... From like maybe he, I I always uh it's sort of like in the in TNG, you know how kind of the the uh, the um the score became very wallpaperish, right? Like when right. I was when when I was watching like the first cup the first season on Blu-ray, and I was like going holy cow like the music is so like more front and center than it was right. later on. I think they were sort of maybe trying to emulate the original series a little bit more at that time, which had a little bit more uh, music that was a little bit more prevalent. And um, it's like that. It's like, oh, wow, the music in this episode's kind of stepped up. It's kind of good. Yeah. You know, it's kind of more noticeable, whereas it's not always very noticeable. Yeah, it, it, it totally, uh, you know, I, I had no idea that you were such a fan and, 
um, had such an appreciation for the soundtrack from this. And um, I was just rewatching and I was like, God damn, this music's awesome. This, I, yeah, I, I just never had made that connection. And I, it's been a while since I had watched it. And I was like, wow, this is really terrific. It's so. always been one that I, I have it in my in my in my truck. When I want to, and when I put it in, like I want to, you know, get in the mood, you know, I put that first track on. It's just so gets me going, and I love, yeah. oh, I love the whole soundtrack. And it's got like, I, he does, uh, he play, I believe he played all the percussion on it as well. Okay. Um, he also, um, I mean, and the, like the, like you said, it's a wide range of music. It does have like that very traditional sort of heroic type music. It's got that vocal type music that you say is like pretty prevalent the gladiator yeah yeah you know that's mm-hmm. sort of like earthy type of music and then there's like uh clearly like some just arabic influence middle eastern influences like the um, another one of my favorite tracks is when they're um capturing the worm It's like that uh-huh. cool, like, kind of groovy, sort of like Middle Eastern tune. That's a really cool track too. I mean, the whole score, the whole score is great. And if you actually kind of know the story, it's like, oh, you kind of get into it because it is. There's some very emotional cues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I think that part of a lot of the success, as far as I'm concerned, when I watch it, is like, boy, it really is tied together by a really great score. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's it, it really, this is really a, a great three-part miniseries. I mean, from the, like you said, from the effects, from the actors they chose, from the way that they, that the, they basically did a screenplay of these two books and made it into such a, co- a, a coherent and, and a story that's pretty easy to follow. I mean, they do a hell of a lot better job than, than me trying to struggle to explain it earlier when, in our podcast here tonight. It's like, when you watch it in the miniseries, it's like, oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Everything's sort of, it's all linear. It all, it all sort of progresses and makes, it makes perfect sense. Yes, there are a lot of actors in terms of a lot of people involved. And it does get, the only part it gets a little confusing, I think, in watching Children of Dune is like, you know, are these the good Fremen or the bad Fremen? Oh, or, yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of that, and because they, they all sort of look alike, you can always tell the 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 character, the main characters apart. And but the Fremen sort of all look like Fremen, and so it's harder to sort of tell some of them apart. And and if I had to knock, if I had to knock Children of Dune for anything, I would just say that it it ends like the book. And that's kind of unsatisfying. Yeah. It, it, it's a little kind of like, oh, okay. Because it really just ends with Lieto running through the desert with the sandworm stuff. I mean, and it, which is what happens in the book. I mean, you can't change that. Um, but I don't know. It just, it, it just seemed as soon as they, as Aaliyah, when after Aaliyah um, dies and, you know, Lieto takes over and he announces the golden path, you're kind of like, Okay, and that is what yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. You never really understand it, and that's uh, I think that's the only spot where they just were like, yeah, how do we end this? Because 
it doesn't really end here, but we need to make this, we need to put a bow on this and end it. You know, whereas Dune ends in with Paul's on the Paul's the Emperor and that's it. Yeah. You know, and it has sort of a more of a, a defined ending, I guess. I think it's the only thing about Children of Dune is the last five minutes are a little bit disappointing because it's been it's so good all the way through into that very end. Yeah, because it is sort of like an epilogue, really. The last yeah. five minutes is like, you know, his sister's, you know, gonna be marrying Farad. She's married Faradin, right? And yep. uh, you know, he says goodbye to Stilgar, and then runs off into the desert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and we never we never find it. We, we know we're sort of left wondering, well, what happens to the sandworms? What happens to Arrakis? Um, there's a lot of a lot of questions that are sort of left open. But yeah, it's, we don't we don't need the golden path. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to see the golden path on TV. Well, I had even heard rumors that they were thinking of doing even the fourth book as a miniseries. But I think yeah. hopefully somebody came to their senses. <laughs> Um, hey guys, I got news for you. Uh, th- those books are batshit crazy, and maybe we should just not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe are you leave- aware that their main character is the big worm with a human face the whole time? I mean, are you aware? <laughs> Have you read these books? Yeah, you might so- want to read the book first. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'll watch it, but I mean, <laughs> I mean and it, but it's so true. Though. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, God, sci-fi. I mean, they 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 must have spent a fortune on these, and I mean, they were so. Good, yeah, you know, and that was when sci-fi was S-C-I, right? I. Well, I mean, look, we had we had Dune, and we had, they gave us Battlestar Galactica. I mean, they the, Sci-Fi Channel from two thousand to two thousand and six or seven was the best. Yep. I mean, it was just great. It was just they provided great programming, and it's a shame that that's. Gone. I don't know what's on. Well, you now they're getting all their stuff from other places, like right. this new show Continuum, which is. A sci-fi show. It's from Canada, I think, and Being Human is from somewhere else too. Oh, be, I, I hear that's good. Have you, do you watch that? Uh, and I've watched the British uh, one. I never British watched. Version, it. Yeah. I watched a, I, not all of it, just a few. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I, I've wanted to watch that just because I'm, I'm a Clone Wars fan, and Sam uh, Witwer, who's yeah. in, he does Darth, the voice of Darth Maul in the Clone Wars. I Darth actually, Maul, by the way, is not dead. He cut in half, but he's still okay. Yeah, okay. He, he, I mean, he wasn't. His legs, as a thing, yeah, his legs weren't cut off. He's fine. He was cut like across intestines. I mean, his everything's fine. It's okay. How the hell? Listen, I, I, every time I, I think about it, I get, I just go, oh, it's Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, let J.J. Abrams figure it out, and that's his deal. But um, I, 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 I've said before, I would be, I'd be, up, I'm always up for. For a new interpretation, I know they were. There was um, who was the director? Peter Berg or, or somebody was trying to make Dune again okay. as a movie. And um, what movie did he do? Peter Berg. Yeah, was it Peter Berg? I don't remember. There's been a couple different directors now, but I don't know. I think I, hey, I would. I think Dune. I think Dune and Logan's Run are two two properties that I would love to see re, uh, reboots of. I, I I said last time, and I still think it's like the cool way to do it would be like the way um, Game of Thrones gets an HBO show. I think that Dune is a dense enough universe that you could do a similar thing with it, and right. and it could be an adult 
oriented, not just because of you know boobies or whatever, yeah. but because. Oh, and and I think I think to, I think Children of Dune, you know, didn't necessarily shy away, but it, it, it was limited in, in that it was on sci-fi. It was on right. It was on. I mean, it was it was some pretty uh, you know tame. It was it was tame, but I mean there was some parts, and I was like, ooh, hey, yeah. You know, I mean, there's some 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 mostly nude stuff mm-hmm. and and some sex scenes, but I mean, I would like to see it done intelligently. But you know, maybe because Dune is a it's 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 a it's a book series for for grownups who read yes. sci-fi, yeah. and I think that cable now is like such the place for things like this to be. Yeah, you know, like when you look at shows like Breaking Bad and. Uh, Mad Men and uh, Game of Walking, Thrones, Walking Dead. Dead. Oh, I by mean, the way, but speaking of, of AMC, holy cow! Um, sorry to get off topic from doing for a quick second, but um, um, Hell on Wheels. Have you watched that? Yes. Oh my gosh, I think it's great. It is cool. Yeah, it took, uh, me, a couple, it took me a couple episodes to kind of get into, it, and I love westerns. Yeah. Um, but hey, it's got it's got, it's got Chief O'Brien. It's got O'Brien, I mean, you can't go wrong. <laughs> I, I love westerns. I love I love um, the tone of that show. is very cool. Yeah. Anyway, I just I, I digress. I just Jamie and I started watching that on Netflix, and we we actually both like it. We're, I'm like, wow, this is really good. I, I, if I could get my wife to watch a, a western, it would be a miracle. Yeah, Jamie, like, you know, she loves Firefly, so oh, there you she, go. Uh, yeah, that's like uh, she has like a, a thing for that kind of stuff. But anyway, no, but yeah, you know, AMC would be a cool place for it to be too. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah. AMC is one of the. I mean, they got some great shows on AMC. You know, I mean, uh, some of my favorites, Mad Men. And uh, Breaking Bad and Walking Dead are like three of my favorite shows. And uh, by the way, I know it's not geeky, but if you if you can watch Mad Men, it's it's wonderful. You know, I started to, and I just i i needed i needed i needed some more time to get into it. I watched the first couple episodes. I gotta get back to it. You but... really need to fit. Like the first season is is a you get is really good. It gets it gets good. And once you get through yeah. the first season, you're to, you should be totally into it. And if you're not, you're not. I love right. it. I love that time frame. Um. Anyway, it's cool. I would like to see Dune done again. I'll, I mean, I'm happy with Children of Dune. Um. I'm. Yeah. I mean. I mean, if Dune, if Dune and Children of Dune, as presented to us by Sci-Fi back in 2000, if that's all we ever get, it's pretty good. Yeah. And I mean, it's and it's it's something that you can watch. You go, well, they they did a hell of a good job of of um, you know, adapting three. Three books that people have said forever. You know, you can't film the right. sort of like Lord of the Rings, that yeah. famous thing. Like it's an unfilmable movie. Yep. You know, well, it does, it's not necessarily. I mean, it just takes somebody who can break it down yep. and knows how to translate a, a book to 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 a, a movie script or a TV. I script. wonder. That's a great point. I wonder. I wonder if the fact that these that Dune and Children of Dune on Sci-Fi were really really good that. If I'm a movie studio looking for a property, I go, well, they they got that pretty right right there, you know. I mean, is there some, could what would they do that would be besides making the effects more more <laughs> better or and or making the content a little bit more mature or, or but I mean, are they? I mean, and uh, what are they gonna do? Put put different costumes on the Benny Jesser, but the Benny Jesser and Dune were that's the way I imagined them. It seems like yeah. they've already they kind of got it, you know. They kind of got it in these two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say about some of the things in, in these two is some of the costumes are outlandish. <laughs> like the Betty Chesser. Right, with their big, with the flying nun hat. And, 
yeah, it's a bit much. I think that, like, as far as the Bane Jessica go, the uh, costumes from the Dave Lynch version are pretty much what they That's should be. On. Those black yeah. ABBA robes—that's right. what they're supposed to be wearing. Right. They, but they, but I, what I was when I watched it, I remember watching it for the first time, having read Dune. I mean, Dune, I think, might be the book I've read the most. I think there's that one. There's Lord of the Rings and Interview with a Vampire. I think I've read those three books more than any other books, and I know them very, very well. And so when I watched that, the miniseries, I was like, okay, they just want to prove that they're not the David Lynch version. Right, they're just being right. di- different on purpose because they were. Right. You know, like with the casting, they went with William Hurt to say, well, you know, we're, he's blonde. Even, You know what I mean? These, it's fine. I can deal with the fact that Paul doesn't look like the Paul in the book. I mean, these the books are the books, and the movies are movies. Right. Uh, I, I think that... Um, the actor that played Paul Alknum, I think he did a great job. I, I liked him a lot. I liked all the actors and children of Dune. I I don't think there was. You know what? Though? Let, let, let me just stop there. I I'll I'll knock Alec Newman a little bit. I mean, uh, not that I don't I, I don't think he's a good actor, but I think he's a little one note. And you know, and and I, I not to say that Kyle MacLachlan was 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 great either. I mean, he was actually probably worse. But Alec Newman, he he does he does a certain thing pretty good, but not a lot of other things that great for me as an actor. I don't connect to him only when he's being kind of angsty, <laughs> and that seems like all he ever does when he, when he when he when he's the augment in in the Enterprise episodes. He's he's Paul. I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. He's the same dude. It's like, oh, okay. Maybe that's why I like those episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Paul Trades, you know, I I I guess I don't know. I mean, I think he, I think that that role is kind of hard to play. I agree. And you know, it's like because and and it's really they don't ever really play Paul the way he is in the books, which is very very precocious because he's actually a lot younger than they ever portray him. Right. Yeah. And he's he's precocious and he's kind of a little snot. Um. And then he has a little bit of a growth. I think pretty much in both versions, he's kind of just a snot the whole time. <laughs> and, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and then when he becomes like, you know, Muad'Dib, he's still he's just a snot with power. Right. Yeah. You know. I mean, I think in Children of Dune, he's a little bit more relatable. You know, he's uh, he's got a lot of uh, weight on his shoulders, and he's got a lot of angst about what the. Uh, what the universe and what's going to happen in the universe, and, and the fact that the guy has is goes blind, and he doesn't see because he has like psychic, or, or he doesn't see because he has powers to see. He sees because he sees the future, and right. he's moving through the future yeah. as he sees it. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty damn cool. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty cool to, the way they portrayed that on the show. It's pretty cool. To, I mean, the books with the way they deal with that is they deal with it more in depth than the. Um, than filmed anything can ever deal with it because what they end up doing in 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 in, in these is just very uh, you know existential sort of like <laughs> scenes whereas in the in the books it's uh, a lot more deep but yeah again I think when people get disappointed by things that books that they like that are translated it's just they can't ever separate it you know yeah, to say well true. why can't it be the book well nothing is going to be your your everybody. Everybody's version of Dune is completely different, right? Your version of Paul Atreides and mine are completely different, you know? right? And yeah. that's just the way it is. We everybody has different things that influence how their imagination works and how their imagination crafts what they're reading. Even though the the uh, the description is the same, your your version and my version are different because different. yeah, no, just... and and in, in that respect, I think Alec Newman does does a great job because I think he plays the character in a way that. There's probably something in there for everyone's interpretation of the character, right? You know, where we can all sort of connect to it in, in that respect. That's that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, 
I just, I, if I'm going to say anything about Children of Dune, uh, as far as a miniseries goes, and and these and the two miniseries together, is that the, really, I think they're just anchored by really just oh, generally strong performances, mm-hmm. and because without the actors, especially in the first one where you know a lot of the production value wasn't really there, um, you know they really you have to they sell it. And I, yeah. I thought that the girl, the woman that played, uh, played Jessica in the first one was very good. Alice mm-hmm. Krieg in this one's very good. I, I like. I think she plays the, the guilt very well. Yeah. Of what her what's happening to her kids, that are you know they're just her children both are just lost. You know. Yeah. I mean she aban- I mean she effectively abandoned um, Ali. Uh, I mean, and and oh, and that's another thing in Children of Dune that's that Alice Krieg. When she brings to the table as the character Jessica, as the scenes with her and um, Alia are just—I mean—and and again, more credit to to these, to this gal who played um, Alia, Daniela um, Amavia. I mean, it's it's just heart wrenching when she just wants her mom to love her, yeah. and her mom can't and can't express. It. It's just—it's just—it's a, a great scene. It's just really great stuff to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the guy that played um, Corba, um, that was one of the conspirators. Yep. He was played by the guy that played uh, Leah Kynes in the. Uh, oh, that's right. And except in the, and he had he had a shaved head as Corva, and that's he right. has a that's a really cool scene in the montage. Oh, when they're they putting him. him into the death still, and he's like yes. totally like screaming. I'm like, yeah, that. Would... And what's nice is they, what's nice is they they don't even explain what happens when you're put into one of those, right. and yet you could just see the abject terror on that actor's face, the way he portrays it as there, as the the lightning is flashing. And the music is playing, and he's screaming, but you can't hear him because all you hear is the music. Yeah. And he looks absolutely terrified. Yeah, it's like because I mean, isn't it? Don't they, they put you in there, and then they put rocks on top of weight on top of you, and squeeze all the moisture out of your body? There's some kind of a mech. It just renders the moisture out of your body. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's just awful. <laughs> yeah, it's just nothing you want to be alive for. Absolutely no. not. Yeah. And and, and that, that sequence we're talking about, you can probably you can find on YouTube. You can, it's like the cleansing of the house sequence. Yeah. Or you can just look under. Nama Nushif, uh, uh, and that sequence with the music together, it really is a cool sequence. It really, it's really for uh, for uh, ten years ago, um, excellent. And, yeah. and it really, uh, if you if you're into Dune, it really, uh, it's it's a cool. It's just a cool. It's it's just cool. I can't say I'm not gonna say cool. My many times can I say cool? I'm gonna get in trouble for saying cool now, probably. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't say cool. Right, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, gosh, I'm, I'm not... oh man, no, I I agree. I, I, this is this has been so much fun going back and reviewing these with you and taking a look at this and just and just giving me a, a good good excuse to pop these back into the DVD last weekend and watch them again. And it was just it was awesome. It was just great to watch. Yeah, it's not, and I know that some pe- a lot of people probably more than I know are into Dune, but I think it's a lot, it's a lot, pretty hard to find people that are really into it. You yeah, I mean it's sort of like some people are like yeah I read the first book or I've seen the movie it's pretty cool or but like somebody the the that's uh that's read it it's like oh so I when I found out you were like as big a fan as I was like oh thank God I mean <laughs> I I can't I've I've said it a million times I just cannot do one of these on my own it's gonna come to it eventually and it's gonna be like it's gonna it's hard i mean it, and and i and i think i think it's 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 better just because you know we we both sort of bring you know our our own biases towards the material to the table and it's and and yet there's just you know i i think where you and i connect on this is that we just we allow that universe to sort of 
overtake us and we like just as much as it's cool to think about living in the federation or just as cool right. as it is thinking about being a jedi i could totally be a fedaikin you know i mean <laughs> I, the, the whole universe sounds is it just sounds like a place that i wouldn't mind going to check out right, and yeah. being and so and i think that's a testament and, and same thing with lord of the rings so you know i can be an elf running around in in the forest uh, but i mean the point is, is that these these authors the tolkien's and the herberts you know they they created this world in literature that is is so vast and you know and if if you if you can if you can get into it it's a great experience if you can't you can't no big deal there are plenty of other things but for those of us that can really sort of immerse ourselves in this universe yeah. it's a it's very rewarding i mean the, and the, because the first book is dense but it also has all that information in it that kind of creates this universe it's a big information dump <laughs> it is but like it yeah like you said to me it's as it's as viable as as a star trek universe or star yeah. wars i mean uh yeah it's it's one of those Universes I slip easily into when I if I pick up one of these, like I'll I'll go get that I'm gonna get that new that sisterhood book because I totally forgot about it. Yep. Until I we were doing this. Out, I think it was like two years ago it came out. Yeah, think, something like that. It was like maybe yeah. last year sometime. But now I'll read it and it won't be any, you know. It's like it's one of those things where I don't need a refresher. I I I I got it all in there somewhere. Right. Head. I I I remember it all. So it's like it's like that. It's a it's a really cool universe. I if you haven't, I'm gonna I th- I'm sure I said it last time. I'm gonna say it again. Just read the first book. If you like sci-fi, if you like fantasy, even because it's got a lot of fantasy type elements to totally, it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it it could be set in in a medieval fantasy, really, if you wanted to change a bunch of stuff around. I mean, you yeah, change the same worms of dragons. You can say the, you know, they got castles instead of planets, and you know, or yeah. I'm doing is an island. I mean, however you want to. So I mean, it really could be. A, it's a fantasy. It's it's a it's an excellent universe. I recommend it. I recommend reading the first book, the second and third book, and at least the. Um, the prequel trilogy that precedes the, those. I think that those are really solid. And then wander into the rest at your own risk and abandon. You know, good for you. I mean, I, we've we've done it and come out on the other side. And you know, they're they're good reads. Um, but just be prepared for some weirdness. Be prepared for 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 characters to come back from the dead ten times. Be prepared for people to turn into worms. Yeah. And may may Shai Hulud clear the path before you. <laughs> Bilal Kaifa. <laughs> All right, my man. Well, all that's right. it. I'm I'm I am doomed out. That's all I got on that. But uh, I want to I want to thank you so much for including me and uh, and doing this, these two shows. It was a lot of fun to work with you on these. And uh, as always, uh, big shout out and thanks to our. Our Rico Meister for allowing us to step in here and uh, have a little fun for a couple, an hour or two, and uh, talking about something we dig. And I hope everybody gets a chance to to check some of the stuff out, and uh, at the very least, maybe just check out the miniseries because I think it's well yeah. worth your time. Yeah, check out the miniseries. Absolutely, it's 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 it's, it's very accessible. Of all of the filmed versions, um, Children's is very accessible, but you probably should watch the Dune miniseries first, otherwise you're yeah. going to be like totally confused, but absolutely it's uh, about going to be about 10 hours of your time between the two of them, but it's, it's worth it. Agreed. Alright. My good friend. Alright, well, uh, I, I guess Rico will be back here next week, and uh, have fun everybody. Take Bye-bye. care everyone, and uh, what's another good Dune? <laughs> <laughs> you told me today, don't let my my. Oh, my, oh, oh, my may your me uh, may your blade chip and shatter. There you go. We'll <laughs> end with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye.